for Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter, we have taken a brief tour through the Psalms that kind of speak to those aspects of the church calendar. And today we come to Psalm 16 to consider the resurrection of our Lord. And that can be found on page number 535 of the Pew Bibles. And we will read all 11 verses of the Psalm. Again, that's 535, Psalm 16. We will read the entire chapter. Hear the voice of the Lord. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in faith that at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. God, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds this morning, that you would grow our faith, that you would cause us to wonder at your kindness and your grace to us, and to bask in the concrete reality that you have raised Jesus from the dead, and how that benefits us through faith beyond our wildest dreams. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, as we all know, we are celebrating the fact uh, that almost 2,000 years ago, uh, the son of a poor carpenter was crucified on a Roman cross and then buried in a rich man's tomb, but that God raised him from the dead. This is a cold, hard fact As we read from Matthew 28 earlier today, if we would have been there that day, what we would have seen and experienced is an earthquake followed by an angel of the Lord descending from heaven and rolling away the tomb. We would have seen the guards terrified running away. And then we would have saw Jesus bodily, physically walk out of the tomb. 
This is not a myth. It's not a fairy tale. It's not an archetypal story that in some sense is true, but that may not have necessarily happened. No, this really, truly happened. John the Apostle reports that after Jesus rose from the dead, they heard his voice, they saw him, they touched him. As we read earlier from Luke, they ate bread with him. It is so central to our faith that Jesus bodily and physically rose from the dead that the Apostle Paul tells us this. He says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. So the feelings of guilt that you have, there's nothing you can do with those. You cannot bring them to the foot of the cross if Jesus is not risen. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. So without the bodily resurrection of Jesus, there is no hope. And the best this world has to offer us is food and drink, for tomorrow we die. So that's chicken wings and beer, or Wagyu steak and a $200 bottle of wine, Whatever version of food and drink we can afford, that's the best the world has to offer us. And if we can't afford food and drink, maybe you're fortunate enough to live in a country that the government will give you food and drink. Sometimes you live in a country where they won't. And, and wherever we land on that spectrum is just a matter of random chance. Depending on who your parents are and where and when you were born. That's the best the world has to offer. But there is a path to life. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God offers sinners something better, something more satisfying, something eternal. The only way to find true, real, everlasting joy is to fall on our knees in repentance for our sin as God defines it in his word and to put our trust in this resurrected Savior, that he will forgive us, that he loves us, and that he will keep us in his love forever. And then after that, we, we accept life on his terms, which is really the freedom. <laughs> Trusting that he is good and that he is the fountain of life and joy and peace, and that is exactly what we see David doing here in Psalm 16. He puts his trust in a resurrected Savior as the only path to life. So there are three things David teaches us in this psalm about the path to life. First, he teaches us what we get to pursue. Then he teaches us what we know we'll receive. And finally, what we're waiting for. See, this is what joy in life looks like. Having something meaningful and purposeful to pursue. Having something solid and concrete that we know we'll receive. And having a hope that extends beyond whatever our circumstances are in this life. So first, what we get to pursue. Uh, there are a lot of options in this life of things that we can do with our time and our attention but this psalm teaches us 
that the first thing faith in a resurrected Savior frees us to do is to pursue God himself. Uh, Many of you are familiar with the story from Luke chapter 10 where Jesus and his disciples go to Mary and Martha's house. Uh, Mary and Martha were also uh, disciples of Jesus. Uh, Their brother Lazarus was was one of Jesus' good friends. In fact, he's the one that Jesus raises from the dead uh, in John chapter 11. And so Jesus and his disciples are there at uh, Mary and Martha's house. And Martha's busy cooking and cleaning while Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning from him, listening to him, pursuing him. Eventually, Martha gets fed up because she could use some help, and so she comes to Jesus and says, hey, I know that Mary's having a great time sitting there at your feet, listening to you, learning from you, but I could use some help in the kitchen. And so the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. See, Mary chose the good portion. She chose to pursue Jesus. She chose to sit down and to listen to him and to learn from him and to hear him speak. She chose to take refuge in Jesus. You can almost picture Jesus with wings, and and Mary coming and snuggling underneath his wings in this moment. That's because one of the benefits of repenting of our sin and putting our faith in the resurrected Jesus is that we get to pursue him. He becomes our refuge and our good portion. This is what we see flowing out of the heart of David in Psalm 16, when he says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Notice David has three names for God in these first two verses. He's God, which means David knows him as his creator and his judge. But he's also the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. And as we discussed last week, if you were here with us, that's God's covenant name. That's the name that God gave to Moses out of the fiery bush on the mountain. This is the name that God's people know him as because he redeemed them out of slavery in Egypt and brought them into a relationship with him. So if you know God by this name, you have a, a, a first name, a, uh, you have a relationship of a first name basis with God. But notice David also calls him Lord, and this is the Hebrew word Adonai. This is is the Lord, the King, the ruler. This is who David knows God to be. This is the God David gets to pursue, his creator and judge, his redeemer and friend, and his ruler and king. And so he prays to God, preserve me, which means guard me, keep me, protect me. Why? Because I take refuge in you. You are the one who I'm trusting for my physical security. You are the one I'm trusting for my soul security, for eternity. I'm trusting you to maintain my faith in you. And David is pursuing God in prayer in the same way Mary pursued Jesus as his only hope, as the good portion, which is why David declares, I have no good apart from you. God is David's highest good. And he's also saying that anything else in this life is only good if God is in it. 
There's no good apart from God. Later in Psalm 73, David writes, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Friends, believing in the resurrected Jesus is not just a ticket to heaven because as David says here, even heaven would be nothing without him. No, believing in the resurrected Jesus means he becomes our portion forever. The greatest benefit of faith in Jesus is Jesus. When we trust in him, we get him. We get to spend our life pursuing him as our highest good, as the strength of our heart and our portion forever. So if the first thing we get to pursue by believing in the resurrected Jesus is God himself, then the second thing we get to pursue is the people of God. Listen to verses three and four. David says, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. See, another benefit of repenting of our sin and putting our trust in the resurrected Savior is that other Christians become those in whom we delight in most. I went to uh, 14 different schools growing up, and every time I moved and went to a new school, uh, what I experienced in my heart was just this deep desire to be accepted by the cool kids. I wanted to be accepted by the popular crowd. I delighted in their popularity and the social power they seemed to have. Because I felt weak. I always felt like I was on the outside looking in. And that never went away until I committed to being a part of God's people. No matter how funny they thought I was, no matter how close to the inner circle I got, I always felt like I was on the outside looking in. My sorrows just multiplied. But David here knows there is only one community that God frees us to pour our time and attention into. As people who are trusting in a resurrected Savior, there is one group of relationships that will actually delight our soul and bring us joy, and that is other believers. Because those who worship other gods will only find sorrow. All they have to offer is food and drink for tomorrow we die. But let's be honest, uh, pursuing food and drink can keep us happy for a long time. And no one is saying the church is perfect. Not at all. But over time, if we commit to the church, if we pursue relationships within the church, yes, we will struggle with life and community with other sinners, of course. But the blessings of a life lived shoulder to shoulder with other believers over time far outweigh the day-to-day -day struggle of living with other sinners because we're living with people committed to loving with one another and bearing with one another and forgiving one another. 
to pursue life with non-believers, to take the name of their gods on our lips, which we will inevitably do if that's who our closest friends are. David reminds himself and us that the sorrows of those who run after gods will multiply. The benefit of putting our faith in the resurrected Savior is that we get to pursue God and other believers. And this gives us guardrails for what to do with our time and our attention in this life. And that is the path of life and joy. That's what we get to pursue. But what can we expect to receive? Takes us to our second point, what we know we'll receive. So many people have had their faith rocked because they did not have a biblical understanding of what they could expect to receive in this life. They expected good health and received sickness. They may have prayed and felt called to a certain path or a certain career. They expected a job or a promotion or for their business to take off only to end up in another career, to get passed over by the promotion, to watch their business fail. Some people expected marriage and family to go a certain way only to watch it fall apart or they're watching it crumble in slow motion before their eyes right now. Some expected their struggle against sin and temptation to get easier as they got older and more mature only to find that in many ways it gets more intense and more difficult. But what can we know for sure that we will receive in this life that will bring us great joy if we put our trust in the resurrected Savior? David tells us in verse 5 and 6, he says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. If you're familiar with the story of Israel wandering around in the wilderness and then coming into the promised land, and then that land being divided amongst the tribes, uh, then some of these words maybe stuck out to you in this verse. These are all words used to describe God dividing up the land of Canaan among the tribes, portion, lot, place, inheritance. They were allotted land that would be their portion, their inheritance of the promised land. After they conquered the land, God tells Joshua, only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. Uh, but there was one tribe that did not inherit any of the land. That is the tribe of Levi. They were set apart to be priests and to take care of the temple. God told them, the Levitical priests, all the tribe of Levi, shall have no portion or inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the Lord's food offerings as their inheritance. They shall have no inheritance among their brothers. The Lord is their inheritance as he promises them. And now with that in mind, listen to our verse again. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Do you hear it? David is saying, the Lord is my promised land. As Jesus teaches in John 17, knowing God and Jesus is eternal life. The word for chosen portion here in this verse is an idiom for food. David's saying, God, you are my food and my drink. 
which means if we pursue God, we will receive God. He will be our food and drink, and he will hold our lot, which means he will give us everything he has promised to give us, which is himself. Proverbs 18, 17 says this, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus promises us, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Jesus promises us, if you seek me, you will find me. The writer of the Hebrews, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You see, faith in the resurrected Jesus is the confidence to know that if we pursue God, we will receive him. He is our reward. He is eternal life. And this isn't a feeling. This is not an experience, although God meets us and his grace through our feelings and experience on his terms when he chooses. Primarily, though, this is knowing God and receiving him as a gift of faith that we can have no matter what we feel, no matter what we experience, so that we can say, the lines have fallen for me in, a pleasant, pl- or in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance, no matter our circumstances, no matter our joys and sorrows, as long as we have God, as long as we have him, we can rejoice that the lines have fallen for us in pleasant places and that our inheritance is beautiful. As Paul reminds us in Romans And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So one of the benefits of putting our faith in a resurrected Savior is that we can know that God will give us himself. And no matter what comes to us in this life, all the joys and sorrows, we can rest knowing that even in the midst of our deepest suffering, the lines have fallen for us in pleasant places because all things are working together for our good. Uh, Samuel Rutherford was a 17th century pastor. Listen to what he wrote to a member of his congregation suffering sickness who had lost two children and who was probably going to die very soon herself. I've edited this for our modern ears, just for the record. This is what he says. Therefore, madam, it is your Lord's will for you in all states of life, to say, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And this is where your comfort comes from, that he who sees perfectly through all your evils and knows the frame and the weakness of your nature and what is best for your soul, he is the one who holds every cup of of affliction up to your mouth with his own gracious hand. Never believe that your tender-hearted Savior who knows the strength of your stomach We'll mix that cup with one ounce of poison. Drink then with the patience of the saints. And the God of patience, bless your soul. Putting our faith in a resurrected Savior means we can know that we will receive God himself and all of his goodness in spite of our suffering and that the lines of this life have fallen for us in pleasant places 
But we can also know that we will obediently receive his word. David goes on. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel, and the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. So the Lord's counsel comes from his word. That's how he speaks to his people. And the more our heart and mind are soaked in God's word, the more we can meditate on it at night in bed, even without it in front of us. Can you imagine knowing God's word so intimately that you can lay in bed at night and have your own heart instruct you with the very words of God? That's what David is saying here. And that word for instruct here, it means to rebuke or chastise. So the picture here is of David on his bed at night with God chastising him and rebuking him with his law, which we think, oh, that will make me feel yucky. But no, it won't because the more we understand God's law and our failure, what we understand is that his grace is even deeper still. And so as he's laying in bed at night, having God's word instruct him, two things are happening. He's being rebuked by God's law and comforted by God's love and comforted by his mercy and his forgiveness and his grace. And what is the result of a life lived pursuing God and trusting that we will receive from him is himself and his word? It is a life where God is ever before us. A life where God is at our right hand, which is a picture of battle. As we fight the ultimate war of this life, which is the battle against sin and Satan and sadness and doubt and fear, we can know that God is with us at our right hand and that we cannot be shaken by those things and that we will persevere in the faith until the end. This is life. This is joy. This is the life God invites us into when we put our faith in the resurrected Savior. But there's even more. We also get to wait now with the sure hope of eternal life and his presence forever, which takes us to our third point, what we are waiting for. When we put our trust in the resurrected Jesus, God invites us to pursue him and his people. He invites us to receive him and his word, and then he gives us an unshakable hope. David goes on, therefore my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Anytime we're reading the Bible and we see the words therefore or for, to us sometimes those seem like the most insignificant words in the Bible. But these are actually the most important words in the Bible because what they're doing is they're showing the relationship between what God has just said and what God is about to say. Okay? So when David says, therefore, what he's saying is, since I've been granted the grace to pursue God and his people with my life, and since I've been granted the grace to receive God and his goodness, whatever my lot in life, and through his word, which gives me confidence that God is always before me, I know he's at my right hand, I cannot be shaken. Since all of that is true, that is the reason my heart is glad. That is the reason my whole being rejoices. It's the reason my faith, my flesh, which is my life as I know it as a sinner on this earth and a fallen world with other sinners, my flesh dwells secure. This is the life every human being is longing for. 
And the world is offering us food and drink, for tomorrow we die. And this Easter, the resurrected Savior is offering us concrete reasons for a glad heart, joy in our whole being, and security in life in spite of our circumstances. If only we will repent of our sins and put our trust in Him and believe that He has freed us to pursue Him and to receive Him. And then in verse 10, David says, For, for, and this is the grounding, this is the basis, this is the foundation of everything we have said up until this moment. For, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, which is the hope of eternal life. David knows he's been freed to pursue God and his people. He's been freed to receive God and his word. Therefore, he has gladness and joy and security because he has the hope of eternal life with God forever. And he knows this because God will not let his Holy One see corruption. David has all this because he has the hope of eternal life because he knows God will not let his Holy One see corruption. What is David talking about here? My friends, this is a prophecy about the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. All of the wonderful things David has been singing about are built on the fact that David knows one day God will send a Savior into the world and that Savior would die, but he would not stay in the grave, that he would rise again from the dead long before his body decayed in the tomb. So after Jesus rises from the dead, the apostle Peter, delivering his very first sermon at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descended upon him, and Peter is speaking to the crowd that had just been part of the crucifixion of Jesus. And this is part of his sermon. He says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses." You see, this is why this psalm is a description of all the benefits of a life lived with God through faith and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because even though it's written in the Old Testament, when David wrote it, he was consciously and prophetically aware of the fact that all of these benefits were his because of the resurrection of Jesus. Because God would not let his Holy One see corruption in the grave. And then David concludes, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And of course, this verse has been in my mind from the beginning. Through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, God offers us the path of life. Not only the path of everlasting life, but the way to live this life. Pursuing God and his people receiving God by faith through his word and resting on the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the sure hope that one day we too will rise again to new life with him. And as we follow this path, as we live longer on this earth, it should become more and more clear that all of this 
All of this is more wonderful than what the world has to offer, which is just food and drink for tomorrow we die. This world tells us to live for the moment and not to think about what might come to us after death. But Jesus offers us life to the fullest now, pleasures forevermore. May we all turn to him this morning in repentance and faith and receive all that he is offering us in Christ, whether that's for the first time or again today. And let us pursue him and his people. Let us receive him and his word. And let us rest on his unshakable promises. Let's pray. God of infinite grace and comfort, we come to you in repentance and faith, trusting that all of this is a gift from your fatherly hand, that everything we need for life and godliness is given to us in your word, and that all we need do is believe and receive, and all of these wonderful gifts are ours. God, I pray that you would grow our faith, grow our confidence, Help us to ground our lives in the reality of the resurrection as King David does here, that we might know this hope, that we might live into it by faith. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.